Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 10th, 2016. Coming up, part two of our graduation special edition, where we talk to recent or soon-to-be PhD science students about their thesis work and what the future has in store for them. The graduation season is upon us, and the University of Colorado at Boulder just held its graduation ceremony last weekend. So today's edition of How on Earth is the second of a two-part graduation special. Our guests in the studio today have spent additional years in college to study particular areas of science in depth, living through that mysterious life called grad school and have made it through the other side to tell us about it. So we have three recently or soon-to-be newly minted PhDs with us to talk about their thesis research, their grad school experience, and what they have planned next. So welcome to How on Earth. We're going to introduce people here in the order that we'll likely be talking with them today. So let's start with you, Carly Sampson. Welcome to How on Earth. Thank you. Okay, and um, can you tell us just a little bit about what program you're in? engineering program um, that's within the civil architectural and environmental department um, or engineering department at CU and you're going to be talking with us about drinking water but not too scarily is that right <laughs> that's correct <laughs> okay and then also we have here um, Greg Thompson what department are you in Greg uh, the Department of Atmospheric and Oceanic Sciences and you're going to talk with us about how to watch out for clouds that planes shouldn't fly through because it might ice up their wings? Yep, that's a part of it. <laughs> that's a part of it. I think that all of these folks here, by the way, have a bit more complex theses that they're doing than what we're talking about here. But um, let's go ahead to you. Patrick, what are you in, in, in terms of your department? Um, I'm in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry at CU. So you're in the Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry, yes. and you're worried about this thing called antibiotic resistance. Yeah, we're, we're definitely worried about that. Um, and and uh, we, uh, we're developing some new therapies to uh, be used in combination with known antibiotics to treat that, that issue. Well, that's who we'll be talking with today. And let's start with you, Carly. Um, I wondered if you know your thesis well enough to say what the official title of it is, just to give people who are listening a flavor of what it's like to have a thesis. Sure, I feel like it's a little test. Um, <laughs> believe the title of my thesis is Modeling Relationships Between Source Water Quality, um, disin Drinking Water Disinfection Byproducts, and Climate. Um, oh, I did mess that up a little bit. <laughs> so Disinfection Byproduct Formation and Speciation. So that's a mouthful. Yep. And <laughs> when you are a PhD candidate, you're supposed to talk in mouthfuls like that. Is that correct? Um, I guess so. <laughs> Well, c compared it's probably to helpful, yeah. <laughs> but you also have another background. You you're a skateboarder, and you're also a teacher of math. Right. I um, have been skateboarding for a long time. I ride for a shop that's actually located in Broomfield, Colorado, 
Um, I used to teach high school math in Baltimore for four years after I did my undergrad. And actually during my um, master's degree work at CU Boulder, I was um, funded through an NSF fellowship that was based on having um, engineering graduate students uh, teach engineering projects in middle school and elementary school and high school classrooms um, in this area. So I actually worked with um, some middle schools in Lafayette and in Longmont. Well, so you've worked with schools about different projects, but what mm -hmm. made you interested in drinking water and what's happening with climate change mm -hmm. and the chemicals we use to purify water? Right, so um, I... I was interested in going back to grad school for a long time and I was just really interested in um, learning to how to protect the natural resources that we have and I was you know concerned about a lot of the things that are going on in the environment in the world and so I um, did decide to focus on drinking water and so my focus is based on um, disinfection byproducts that are formed um, in drinking water treatment when we add a disinfectant which most commonly is chlorine and so it's really important to use disinfectants in water treatment because um, uh, you know, mo microbial or pathogen risk is you know, very, very serious risk. Um, but there is an unintended consequence, which is um, the formation of these disinfection byproducts, which over um, you know, long-term exposure have been uh, linked to cancer, such as bladder cancer. And so there is a health risk um, involved. Does this mean that we shouldn't be drinking water? No, you absolutely should be drinking water. And uh, there's actually a lot of a lot of the work that I do is looking at um, relationships between like how climate affects source water quality. So the things in the water that are these precursors, these disinfection byproducts. So, um, you know, what what effects does climate have on these precursors existing in the water? And then also what are, you know, some of the sort of what are the um, point at which you might want to change the treatment that you're using like switch to a more advanced treatment methods based on the source water that you're using so that we can really limit the um, exposure to disinfection byproducts. Now is that how you would say this at your PhD um, defense? Is that what it's called as a defense when you go into? Mm -hmm. Yep. Is it because you have to wear armor or something or is it scary? <laughs> I guess it's um, looked at as sort of your final exam, so like the big final exam where you're defending all the work that you've done over the years. You're not done with your defense yet. Your defense is coming up in That's a right. couple more weeks. Yeah, actually two weeks from today. Have you have you been in on any defenses, uh, watched other people do this? Yes. Yep. Do, they, do they sweat a lot? <laughs> <laughs> Probably depends on the person. Some people actually seem very, very calm. I think most everyone is extremely prepared by the time they get to the point of their defense. They've had really a long time. And um, I think every department's different, but our department, um, the comprehensive e exam that you take beforehand, I feel like is a good preparation. So that's when you're... Um, presenting all the work that you would like to do and you plan to do and presenting the results you have so far and so I feel like um, it's just a good experience to get prepared <laughs> for the future and for your defense. All right so that will be coming up in the later part of May for you is mm -hmm. doing an actual defense of your 
thesis here that there are these nasty compounds <laughs> formed that have something to do with how climate change changes what the water is that goes into a drinking right. water plant. Mm -hmm. And then it combines with the chlorine that is usually used to purify mm -hmm. and makes some rather bad things. Mm -hmm. That Bad things is probably not what you say in a PhD. <laughs> not exactly, no. <laughs> well, and what can we do about this? If, if these kinds of elements are being made, mm -hmm. is part of your goal to help people identify what to look for? Um, actually, a lot of the work that I do, and I think future work too, um, has a lot to do with actually the regulations. So um, the EPA um, is you know, continually doing different monitoring or making, you know, new regulatory decisions um, to protect public health related to disinfection byproducts. Um, so some of the work that I've done, actually one project that won't be entirely included in my thesis was based on collecting data from every state across the country um, to look at, you know, what is the DVP exposure, how has passed. And, and what is DVP? Oh, sorry, that was the abbreviation for disinfection byproducts. Okay. Um, so how that DVP exposure has changed um, since there have been regulatory changes. So there was uh, a rule that went into effect um, in two th or the implementation began in 2012. So we were looking sort of at, you know, what were some of the levels of DBPs before this rule went into effect, after this rule went into effect, you know, is the regulation doing what it set out to do? Um, very, very interesting to find out. Now, one last question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you drink tap water? I do drink tap water. Um, at home, I do use a Brita filter, but um, now a Brita, I a Brita filter, that's something you can get at uh, a, a supermarket. Right. And you pour your water in it, it has carbon in it, mm -hmm. and it just filters through. Is that enough to get out most of these byproducts from disinfection um, of the water? It definitely uh, helps the quality of the water, but I do want to say that um, this area, especially Boulder, has very, very good drinking water. Um, they are one of the case studies that I've worked with, and in general, we have a very pristine water source that's up at a high elevation. So, um, yeah, overall, I'd say we're lucky with some very good drinking water. And do you still use a Brita filter on our very good drinking water here? I do. <laughs> okay. Well, just curious here. So um, thank you for explaining what your thesis is about, and good luck with your defense of it, your Ph.D. defense. Thank you. And uh, with your fu future work to make sure that our water is safe and clean. That sounds good. This has been Carly Sampson, who is defending her Ph.D. a little bit later in May. Let's go in order of who's in the studio here. Next to Carly is Patrick, par Patrick Barber. Patrick, yep. you told me that you had always wanted to be a very good doctor, which led you to I do a, a very good amount of studying of what? <laughs> well, yeah, I, I started uh, college thinking, oh, I want to go into medical school. And what better way to be a great doctor than to learn biochemistry? And then I, as I learned more biochemistry, I found that I was training myself to be a really good medicinal chemist. Uh, so my, my path uh, changed at the end of undergraduate, and that led me to CU. And here you are now. And now you have defended your thesis. I am. I'm <coughs> officially uh, Dr. Barber.
Dr. Barber. <laughs> okay. Well, congratulations, Dr. Barber. And what was, what was it like to defend your thesis in terms of, was it friendly or was it kind of the worst moment of your life? Oh, it was very, it was very friendly and it was a lot of fun. Um, and uh, it, like Carly was saying, you're so prepared once you get up to that point that it's more just, I want to tell people about what I'm doing. And uh, you know, hopefully your family or friends will come too so you can show them. Your thesis is about antibiotic resistance. That's correct. Which is a serious problem. It has been ranked worldwide as one of the biggest issues coming up yeah. is the fact that um, if somebody needs open heart surgery, if someone has pneumonia, yes. we're getting to the point where there could be an infection that we can't stop. Yeah, modern medicine relies on antibiotic and the antibiotics and the ability to manage infection to to be successful so without antibiotics and and new antibiotics we we won't have modern medicine as we know it we won't have knee surgeries yeah. <laughs> i mean it's a, yeah it, it's it's kind of a, a stark picture but um we're, we're actually working to uh using our knowledge of organic synthesis and the physiology of microorganisms to um, figure out ways to to block antibiotic resistance um in novel ways now, you have a thesis that you gave which had a title. Can you remember what the title is of your yeah, thesis? Uh, Property Guided Synthesis of Tricyclic Indolines to Confront Antibiotic Resistance and Methicillin Resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Okay, can you say that a little <laughs> more slowly as we process what you just said? So try yes, that again. Um, Property Guided Synthesis of, of Azotricyclic Indolines to Confront Antibiotic Resistance and Methicillin Resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Okay, I'm sure that all of our readers now, yeah, uh, our it's, listeners it's understand. Yeah, it's a mouthful, yeah. yeah no. I've said it a lot of times, so. You, you said it very well, in fact. And <laughs> Thank you. And just as in context, in a PhD defense, you use words like that all the way through. Oh, well, yeah. There, I mean, we have to have words to define what we're talking about so we can differentiate between other organisms or other ways to synthesize molecules. So it has to be complex, but... It gets a little too much when you're trying to explain the, the raw concept of what you're doing. Patrick Barber, you were explaining in much more simple terms with me before we got on the air. Yeah. Can you say some of the things that you would use to explain to me yeah. or to our listeners? Yeah, definitely. So we look at antibiotic resistance as, you could think of an analogy as a light bulb. So the light in the room is antibiotic resistance. and uh, Go ahead. And and we, we look at it from two ways that you could take away the light in the room by smashing the light bulb, which is the current method of antibiotic res of defeating antibiotic resistance. Um, we, we looked at it from a, a different way and said, well, what if we just turned off the light switch? Um, and so we've developed a series of compounds that can turn off antibiotic resistance before it even starts. Um, okay, so if we back up a little bit, antibiotics are designed to kill microbes that could be hurting us by exactly. living in our bodies and wanting to take our hydrogen from us. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and, you know, they're, they're not evil. They're just wanting to take a little bit of energy they're, they're from us. They're just very adaptable organisms that get in the right place and they'll take off. And, and if it, the right place happens to be your, your lungs or a cut you have, it can lead to some pretty serious outcomes. It can kill you. It can yep. mean you lose an arm or, a, or an organ. But um, we have these drugs that are designed to kill them when we take them without killing us. Yes. But a lot of these microbes have adapted to the point that they, you give them a little bit of this penicillin or something exactly. else and they just go about their business without worrying. What, what's so, what's, what I'm so fascinated by microorganisms and the application of, of organic chemistry to find new compounds to confront antibiotic resistance is that the microorganisms will actually sense the amount of antibiotic 
around them and they'll they'll increase the amount of resistance they have in response to that so we thought if we bring new compounds that the microorganism can detect and it will essentially trick the organism to think that there's no antibiotic around um, and and that's really the the core of our strategy is to to tell the organism there's no antibiotic no need to fear and then there really is the and then they and and so then so so there's cipro all around and yep. the microbes say we're ready to fight the cipro and exactly. then you send in your little thing exactly and it, you don't call it a thing in the <laughs> yes yeah. well it is a little thing oh it is it's okay. a very little thing it's, it's a little <laughs> bit of chemical is yeah that right? exactly so you send in a little bit of this chemical and all of these microbes ready to fight against the cipro they go oh it's gone away let's yeah. let's go back to not worrying about it yeah we give them a little bit of chemical propaganda i guess so there's no antibiotic don't worry You'll be okay, and then they are not okay. <laughs> you know, uh, Patrick Barber, I can understand what you're saying. Right. Now, can you use these kinds of explanations in a PhD defense? Um, you could. I don't know how well it would go over. Them. <laughs> you might, you might be uh, having to explain yourself again after you say that. <laughs> well, here's a question for you: If you have these um, compounds that put blinders. Mm -hmm. and earmuffs on the microbes so that they don't know that the antibiotic is coming in, yes. so that they don't boost, they don't upregulate their defenses against the antibiotic. Yes. Will these microbes get to a point where they're used to getting these earmuffs and blinders put on them, and then they say to each other, hey, wait a second, we've got these blinders on and these earmuffs, we'd better see if we can look a little harder or listen a little better that that uh that's to be tested um i mean i i believe that antibiotic resistance is inevitable to any drug that we give to microorganisms including so, this one you're talking about uh well that's yet to be seen we haven't done those tests to to really show that it would um but it, i i'm I believe that microorganisms are, can adapt to any drug that we will give them, whether it's a small molecule like I'm producing or some other treatment. Uh, they're very adaptable organisms. It's called evolution. But, but what we have is that we have uh, a very clever chemist who can, and uh, other scientists who can actually figure out how to overcome these mechanisms. So it's just a matter of applying the necessary research. Now, you mentioned that already you are doing your tests of this new compound in animal models. And yes. you're only five years away from testing this in humans. Yes. Um, yeah, that would be, yeah, that's, that's our, our time frame. Are you going to stay in this field then? I, I, I plan to, yes. I, I'm thoroughly hooked with the, the power of organic chemistry and, and uh, drug-resistant bacteria. Good luck, because it's something that we could all use someday, whether we think we might or not. Yes, thank yes. you. That's, that's an important topic, too. Now, also here with us, we have... Greg Thompson, uh, welcome to KGNU, Greg. Oh, thank you very much. And when you talk about your PhD defense, have you defended already? I did, uh, six days ago. Six finished. days ago. Was it easy or was it hard? Uh, it was, as the other two speakers said, it was, it was actually easier than I even thought it would be because of, of, of the preparation and because I had a fantastic committee. And uh, it was just a very welcoming experience compared to maybe what I, I suspect few others have, a few others have had. And being a relatively non-traditional aged uh, PhD, I think that did a little, uh, had a little part of play too. Now, how old are you? Uh, I'll turn 48 next week. 
And this is an area, though, that you've been studying for how many years? You, you, just to give our listeners a reminder, you're looking at how to predict what kind of clouds would have ice formation that could make a plane crash. Yeah, in a sense. Uh, I, I write a computer code that actually uh, predicts the weather, and in this case, specifically the water drops in the atmosphere and the ice crystals and those water drops if they're below freezing not all water freezes at uh, 32 fahrenheit or zero celsius or else i probably wouldn't have my job and my phd because uh it, it is that liquid freezing as it hits an aircraft wing or your car windshield that causes the hazard what made you be interested in this as an area to look into and, and by the way what is the before we get into what Go ahead and say what the name of your thesis is. So the title uh, is a microphysics param uh, hmm. <laughs> a microphysics parameterization to improve the prediction of supercold liquid water and application to aircraft icing. Say that again. A microphysics parameterization to improve the prediction of supercold liquid water and application to aircraft icing, since supercold liquid means it's below zero Celsius, and that's what hits an aircraft wing and freezes into an ice shape. Okay, so microphysics means little tiny calculations, or, you know, what does it mean? In a sense, um, it's cloud physics. And so uh, microphysics is basically all the water in the atmosphere, whether it's in vapor form, liquid form, or ice form. So I, I basically... Uh, have been doing that type of, of computer coding for over 20 years in which we have to condense li uh, sorry, uh, water vapor into liquid droplets. We have to freeze some of the droplets and we have to freeze the right number of them in the computer code or we can change clouds. Is this really an issue for airplanes as they're flying along? If they end up in the wrong cloud, can they suddenly have a lot of ice on the wings of the aircraft? Yeah, they absolutely can. And um, it's a little scary to think of, but um, in 1990... I, I, no, I, I don't think I want to fly anymore, but what happened in 1990? In 1994, uh, an American Eagle uh, commuter aircraft was in a holding pattern waiting to fly into Chicago's O'Hare Airport and hung around in, an ice, in a liquid-filled, supercooled liquid-filled fil cloud for too long and uh, crashed in Indiana and killed 68 people. And so this is a real threat, um, although it's not a very large number of incidences in the commercial aircraft arena. It's a far more, uh, ha uh, far more hazardous to the general aviation pilots, the sort of people who fly small airplanes, maybe at uh, you know, a two-seater or a four-seater, but, you know, your big aircraft flying across the country, they, first of all, they go through clouds so rapidly, they ascend through a cloud so rapidly uh, that they really don't have the time to accumulate much ice on the wings, and furthermore, they have plenty of resources to deal with the ice on the wings compared to many of the smaller guys who are down low in the soup, as we like to call it. Well, for the big commercial airplanes, I think we've all been on a plane where they put that blue goo all over it <laughs> before it takes off. Or, um, And I hear that they even have these little bumps on the front of airplane wings that can expand out to crack off ice. So they have lots of resources like that, plus radar are those I just want to be safe the next time I'm flying you will almost surely be safe the next time you fly yeah uh, this sort of this research does actually transition into a into a predictive environment it's one of the reasons why I, I like my job a lot um, because you get to actually make a difference in in weather prediction that helps society in general and helps improve safety so it's a good thing well how about the small plane pilot is this something where you're learning enough to say if the cloud has a little bit of a grayish tinge at the top or the bottom. I mean, how do you let them know that this is not a cloud to fly near? 
Uh, well, myself and coworkers create uh, forecasts of this that go out to the public on uh, websites and through other mechanisms that basically the, the Federal Aviation Administration has funded uh, to do this and then transition to the National Weather Service. So the same people who bring you like uh, the, a tornado warning or a severe thunderstorm warning, there's an outfit as part of the Weather Service that actually does the prediction for aviation. So they say that there's an icing hazard today at this location, at this altitude, and that is basically the, uh, we do a lot of the research that feeds into that final pipeline. That would mean that a small plane pilot would hear there's an icing hazard at 10,000 feet, but it's not there at 8,000 feet or at 12,000 feet. Is it like that kind of issue? Absolutely, because as long as you're above the, the melting temperature, zero Celsius, uh, you don't have to worry about icing your, your aircraft. So if you know that uh, the, the today's icing level or today's melting level is at uh, 8,000 feet, then uh, that would be the, the start of the hazard. And then maybe the cloud top is at 12,000 feet. And so that's the end of the hazard because you cannot put ice on the wings if, if the liquid is only in a, in a layer 2,000 feet deep. Well, you started out scaring me about flying, and now I feel a little bit safer about it <laughs> because there's better predictions now for people to use. Are you going to continue studying this to get even more precise in what you, what you do in terms of the forecasting? Uh, I think we will. Uh, I will continue in this area because uh, there is still more to be done. The process of ice creation actually depletes liquid water because of a technical process. I won't get into, but it's, but it is a is an ongoing process to improve. And numerical models and computers just get better and better every decade. In fact, we are way better off than we were 15 years ago in terms of how well we can predict this. Uh, as well as any weather pattern. If you, if you lived here long enough, you know that you, if you heard a, a snowstorm prediction for a foot of snow, it was about, what, 30, 40, 50% likely it was going to happen. Now it's more like 80 or 90% that it's going to happen. It's actually, the skill has gone up dramatically in 15 years because of compute power and uh, the physics improvements that we make in computer codes. Well, the skill is going up partly because of all of you who are focusing very precisely with your mental efforts on these fascinating topics to make the world, this may sound trite, but you are really working to make the world a better place for us here in our lives, and we appreciate that, and good luck with all that you're doing. I'm Shelley Schlender. We've been talking with Greg Thompson, Carly Sampson, and Patrick Barber, all of whom are graduating with their PhDs from the University of Colorado at Boulder. And they've shared with us today the research behind their thesis work and a bit of a peek into the world of graduate school and also what they're going to be doing in the future. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is me, Shelley Schlender. This week's show was produced by Joel Parker. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.